Welcome to episode 53 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, Frontline, and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and joining this podcast today is Alison, Daniel, Kim, and Tony. And Prue is not joining us uh, for our final episode for this season because uh, she is currently out at seeing Bloom, you know, so, which... Lucky her. Yeah. Well, look at her rub shoulders with people that we kind of want to hang out with on a regular basis. (laughs) No, that doesn't sound obsessive (laughs) at all, does it? No. no, no So are we going to get any reports from her? Uh, No, I I offered, but, um, yeah, I think it was something about along the lines of uh, how Mike Moore was feeling after this episode, <laughs> which is spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into it. As mentioned, Working Dogs Theatre production uh, Bloom is currently uh, on show at the Melbourne Theatre Company, if I am not wrong. So I think it's up until uh, mid-August. So make sure you check that out as soon as possible. That's mid-August 2023. So if you're listening to this way after that, I'm sorry, it's over. And you missed out. Um, Other things, uh, shameless plug here. I popped up on the Dingo Ate My Movie podcast talking about Ozploitation films and I was asked to come on to talk about Housepot Horror. So I barred up. So if you want to <laughs> listen to an episode completely about houseboat horror, um, as well as me giving a plug to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, but uh, host Peter there is really, really cool. So it's actually not a bad podcast at all. So I recommend you to hmm. check it out if you love your Aussie films. Thankfully, we now have an air date for Thank God You're Here and a uh, big promo featuring a big white void, a big blue door, and a large quadruped. The funniest show to ever grace Australian television became a cult classic. This hit Aussie TV show was much... Yeah, I think we get the idea, Mr. Big Quotes, Boomy Voice Guy. Now, thank God you're here, is back. Awesome! You can quote me on that. There's something new. And that would be? A new blue door. Yeah, the door has had a bit of work done to it, but that wasn't quite what I was thinking. New special guests. We will have them as well, but most importantly... There's a new host, Celia Pacola. Thank you, finally. And it's actually Pacola. It's not a big deal, but it kind of is. Each week, Australia's funniest and most fearless comedians will walk through this blue door with no idea what awaits them on the other side. Why is there a cow there? Let's get ridiculous! Once inside, they'll be forced to bullshit their way through. Can we say that? When the performers step through this door, they will hear thank God you're here. Premieres Wednesday, August 2 on 10 and 10 Play. So there we go, and it's at 7.30. Uh, a bit of, bit of uh, pedantry. Uh, I understand that the door in the ad is uh, upside down. Oh. <laughs> so I hear. <laughs> and um, I didn't even someone that, that I know... That someone I work with's husband gets annoyed every time he sees the ad. <laughs> so hopefully, in the actual air date, they they put it the door the right way around. To be a, a thing where it's like bigger squares at the bottom or the top. There's there's a way to tell if a door's hung 
correctly. Yeah. So the bigger squares are at the bottom in this, and I'm not sure what the right way is. But uh, <laughs> if anyone has any insight into the door hanging, door do, do you know what? If this was still the 1990s, there was probably a segment you could write into Hey Hey It's Saturday oh about this kind of thing. <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> but sadly, it's not the oh, 90s, no. so you can't. Oh, well. Could, have to go on well, Facebook could or something. You always try Daryl on Dancing with the Stars, you know. He's got nothing else to do. <laughs> we could ask the four Kingsmen, but they specialise in uh. green doors. Uh. Right, thank you, thank you. That promo works really. No, I'm, 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 I was just going to say that promo actually works really well just as radio, which I don't know what it says about the show if you can do a promo for a television show that requires no visuals whatsoever. Well, apart from that Red Foo song that's soundtracking it, yeah, it is a pretty good promo, I think, because uh, like it's it's sort of it's mentioning all of the legacy and you know the the four seasons that have come before before it, but also explaining what it is for those who have never seen it before. Well, they haven't explained what happened to Shane Bourne, but I'm sure the actual series itself will address that mystery. Well, actually, ju- just on that, there is one detail that the promo doesn't quite explain but the the Channel 10 publicity department has. Um, There's one sentence in their synopsis for this upcoming debut, uh, as well as featuring a new host and a fresh crop of comedic talent, this season will also welcome surprise comedy legend judges to gently critique each week's performances. So basically, basically, there's no there's no permanent judge in in the old Tom Glass. I thought you were going to say the series opens with Shane Bourne's grave and everyone looking really sort of. Somber. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, that's it. Although, 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 mind you, he he did look pretty old in Fisk. Well, that's true. Yeah, he was in. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens on August second. Yeah, I'll be like, thank God you're still here. Not dead. I've been using a clip with Tony Martin on their their social media to promote it, which has been interesting. I I didn't didn't really sort of think as Tony Martin as the face of the show, but it's been I've seen the um where he's like leading a, a police SWAT team clip. Oh yeah, oh, I've yeah. seen that yeah, one a couple of times on on, online. Yeah. So they're they're pushing that. So maybe Tony will be back for this season as well, and hopefully more Nickelback references. Never gets old. <laughs> also, um. Only uh, the other day, uh, Tom Gleisner was part of Double J's Take Five, so where he gets to choose a select number of songs uh, to play and say, "Hey, this is a bit of my cool playlist." Trying to be hip with a cool crowd, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because you know he's old well, apparently. Uh, but um, if you want to, I won't spoil it for you. But um, unfortunately. None of the songs uh, were featured from the late show that were on his list, so there wasn't any Frente. Oh, no countdown that. classics? No. <laughs> Very disappointing. Yeah. Um, so check out Double J uh, Twitter feed as well as uh, online um, for his list and also for the radio show. Also, uh, for this podcast as well, um, finally, 53 episodes in, and I finally set up a... Well, I, I said Patreon pr- previously, uh, but now I've got a we buy you know buy us a coffee. So buymeacoffee.com slash TLS champagne pod. So if you want to uh, contribute, which uh, <laughs> even before the recording of this episode, regular contributor and listener Tim Chuma uh, 
donated a coffee. So, thanks, Tim. Thank you. Yeah, really, really cool. So we're all drinking one fifth (laughs) of it now. Mm, Delicious. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, yeah, you can donate whatever amount you want, and it will just go directly towards paying for our subscriptions to get this going to maintain the cost for this. So, because this comes out of our own time and uh, energy and and pay as well so yeah if you want to do that buymeacoffee.com slash tls champagne pod all the links will be in the show notes oh jesus it's daniel g and his program guide and you might be exclaiming that because i've got quite a lot to get through so uh i might start off with uh a review uh of the uh final episode out of the sydney morning herald guide written by doug anderson he writes uh, that uh, the pliable ethics governing infotainment decree that virtually anything can be compromised in the name of the media's duty to keep the public informed, and that which can't can be in the name of ratings. While many insist that the ratings are a reflection of fundamental democratic processes, they are in fact a key factor in the ongoing mediocritization of of information. A war of numbers as ugly, as vicious and stupid as any armed struggle to win the hearts and minds. Frontline, which has focused on the ratings mechanisms of infotainment, is well named. It has been muscular in its efforts to mirror the backstabbing bastardry, the lacerating hypocrisy and the searing egoism that propel numerous current affairs shows. The program, which ends its initial season tonight, has succeeded as serious satire because it hasn't aimed for parody, uh, for parody rather, or relied on the cheap shot. How you can successfully parody what is already a preposterous shambles of sensation and shortcut angles uh, with uh, earnest anchor men oozing sincerity and concern as massaged and stage-managed events are put through the ratings ringer. Made with vision and a sense of purpose, in stark contrast to much of what is vomited up in the name of responsible reportage, Frontline has made a strong impact in 13 weeks. Night of Nights, set on Logie's Night, sees the feckless Mike Moore stumbling through a rat mangle of glitter, rampant, uh, rampant ego, and unsavory betrayals wrought in the name of journalism. It's a star-studded episode, tight, salient, and biting. The second series can't come too soon. What a raving review. Mm. What, was that a rat mangle of glitter? Yeah, a rat mangle of glitter. Okay. I must say I've never heard of a rat mangle, but I, I guess it, it does sort of conjure up an image of something or other. Well, <laughs> rat mangle will be part of our soundboard, our delicious soundboard <laughs> next season. I rat look mangle. forward to rat mangling, uh, asking for a rat mangle. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now, uh, if for some reason uh, you haven't seen all of Frontline in 1994 or uh, your G-code failed to initialise, uh, then there's good news because the ABC is running repeats of Frontline on Saturdays at 8pm from the 13th of August, 94, of course. Now, this gave me the opportunity to have a look at Ross Warnicke's critical guide. Remember that from the late show? Now, unfortunately, he has bugger all comment to say uh, next to all of the listings for the repeats. 10 out of the 13 weeks, he just puts the two words, media satire. Wow, bitter. And uh, (laughs) 
Well, I mean, it's it's functional if nothing else. Um, and the other three, there's no comment really. The only sort of interesting thing about the repeats is that it's not in the same order as the initial run. What? So, so, so the season starts off with episode two, the Desert Angel. Okay, that's so, bizarre. Yeah, then you see, it goes... the, the a, I mean, the, the commercial channel is obviously very notorious for playing shows out of order, but the ABC you could generally rely on to get it right. But okay, but then again, yeah. front, Frontline's been designed. Well, I think that when you reflect back on it, each episode can be partially standalone. It's not continuity heavy. You're yeah. not sitting there going, Brooke. Brooke's character yeah. arc is disrupted if you don't watch, you know, this episode first. Well, I, I don't know about you, but I, I've certainly been following the character arc of the <laughs> photocopier. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> I know Stu's been developing, you know, across the season, but yeah. So, yeah, it starts off with uh, episode two, The Desert Angel, then back to episode one, The Souffle Rises, then back to episode three, City of Fear, episode four, She's Got the Look. Then it skips to episode six, playing the ego card. Episode seven, we ain't got dames, uh, and episode eight, the epi- uh, the art of gentle persuasion. Then back to episode five, the siege, and then uh, episodes nine through twelve in their correct order. Uh, sorry, nine through thirteen, I should say. Well, but who knows? Back in those days, maybe if someone misfiled the videotape, they just had to grab whichever one was next on the pile. Well, see, I'm, I'm also wondering whether it might be, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about the siege in particular, whether it might have been pulled and like put into a different slot in the order, maybe because there might have been another siege at the time. Oh. I mean, that sort of stuff, that's, that's hap- that sort of stuff has happened before. As you mentioned, Alison, where you were watching the timeline of Colin Conacher, uh, he, basically putting it out of order, you see him go from a working photocopier down to him slowly sabotaging it and destroying it completely. <laughs> By using a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> which, which he does in this episode. <laughs> All right. So um, let's look at what's up against uh, Frontline on the 1st of August uh, for the 7.30 slot. I'll start with SBS. Uh, at 7.30, they've got the Big Bite a series examining the use and misuse of computer software and hardware hosted by Basia Bonkowski. Lucky it's 1994, otherwise it, don't have it mistaken for the other comedy <laughs> show and Tony Smiling In, that's mm. what I was referring to. Oh, yes, <laughs> I know what you're referring yes, it's, to. It's, uh, it, it's Big uh, Bite with a Y, yeah. And then at 8pm, uh, uh, actual uh, current affairs. Uh, you, you can choose to either have the parody on the... On Channel 2 or uh, actual uh, news and analysis of current issues, News Extra hosted by Paul Murphy. Then over to Channel 7. Uh, again, it's a split schedule in Melbourne. It's It'll Be All Right on the Night, another repeat. Dennis Norton and his clipboard presenting more amusing TV outtakes. And in Sydney, it's another episode of MacGyver, according to the SMH, uh, MacGyver uncovers a plot to assassinate a visiting third world leader. Now, I thought that synopsis there might uh, be able to help me uh, find out what episode this is. As far as I can tell, there's three episodes throughout the original <laughs> run which had to do with assassinations. Of, of, like, it was like a third world leader, a South American leader. I don't know if that's third world or not. I don't know. But yeah, not still not helping and me. Every single one was organised by the US government. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of, the, one of them involved uh, somebody being brainwashed no, as well in, into doing it. 
That's very oh, Zoolander, isn't it? Where you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> brainwashing will be plot. the Russians or something, I imagine. Quite possibly, yeah. Or the USSR. No, was it? Was it? Or well, is the, it the, post? The Manchurian candidate has China and Russia teaming up to create, you know, brainwashed American soldiers. But yeah, any any one of those dirty commies would be up to it. Cuba. Well, the, you uh, know, the Ipcrest file, of course, follows a similar theme. Look, it was probably Dan Andrews. Yeah. <laughs> not not content with cancelling the Commonwealth Games. His evil Chinese paymasters have once again pulled his puppet strings. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving to Channel 9 uh, at 7.30, it's a repeat of Season 3, Episode 14, titled Contractions. Murphy uh, is at the end of her uh, contract and is being wooed by an executive from the Wolf Network. So, yeah, like what that stands mm. in for, you can only ever guess. Although, mind you, the name Wolf Network comes up in the revival because uh, basically uh, Murphy's son, Avery, hosts uh, a, a show uh, rivaling uh, Murphy's uh, in Murphy's time slot on this Wolf Network. And at 8 o'clock, we've got Frasier, uh, Season 1, Episode 18, and The Whimper Is. Frazier learns that he and his producer have been nominated for Seattle's annual broadcasting awards. Does anybody remember what the uh, awards are called? No, okay, it's the CBs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they don't win this time round. All right, and that just leaves uh, Channel 10 and Healthy, Wealthy and Wise. And it's a jam-packed episode. Listen to this. <laughs> like this, like this, this is such a long list. Jim Brown visits the dolphins at Monkey Mire in Western Australia. Then Talbot checks out the use-by dates of food in the fridge. Not for this show. <laughs> just because she needed to clear out some space. <laughs> Ronnie Burns goes back to school for a music lesson. Ian Hewitson prepares a hearty Irish stew. Tonya Todman shows how easy it is to make your own paper. <laughs> Ross Greenwood looks at a very special form of insurance. I'm guessing it's that alien abduction insurance person. <laughs> and Peter Werrett goes to a swap meet. So out of all that, uh, what are they actually doing on the show? <laughs> Too much in my opinion. Uh, and that just leaves uh, what's on, uh, on the ABC. Uh, now, I'm not sticking around to the entire episode. Uh, but I did want to just outline what is in this time slot for the rest of the year. So uh, we'll start with the, the 8 o'clock slot. You, you might be able to guess um, what uh, this, this program is. Uh, it's a British romantic sitcom which uh, follows the relationship between two former lovers who meet unexpectedly after not having been in contact for 38 years. As time goes by... Ah, that's the one with with Judy Dench and Jeffrey Palmer. Yes. There we go. This will get the young viewers in. To be fair, my parents loved this program, so it got them in. Is there a blander recording of As Time Goes By? (laughs) I can't see how this inspired people in World War II or whatever they used to use it for. Wasn't that at the start of that... What was that show that they used to just go back over old Australian footage and they would play this at the start? 
Perhaps I'm dating myself and no one else oh, remembers. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Was sure. it hosted by Peter Luck or someone like yeah, that? Yeah, it was something like that. And they, it probably was. No, well, that, that, was, that, that was the Australians and I still call Australia home, I think. No, oh, this was an old, old show. Uh, look, I'm pro- probably either hallucinating it or it is from <laughs> like, you know, repeats from the 60s or something. But yeah, that's what I always think of. When it, on the rare occasions I hear that very old song. Well, uh, look, uh, buckle up for 23 episodes <laughs> in a row of As Time Goes By, 23 Good weeks, with, which takes us up to mid-January 95 until Fantastic. they find wow. something else to fill it up. Seasons <laughs> one, two, and three. God. Well, if you were bored of uh, watching As Time Goes By, um, when I was looking at my old 90s magazines for this podcast, I found my Smash Hits magazine from 1994, August 1994, and um, the best bits of The Late Show Volume 3 came out around this time and was also Ah. reviewed in the magazine. I got four stars. It basically says um, all your favorites from The Late Show, Rob Sitch, Jane Kennedy, and Santo Chilaro, plus a few special guests. Plot. This is the third collection of best bits from The Late Show and it contains some of the funniest bits ever to have ever been on the show. It's almost like they saved a lot of the really good bits for this video. There's some fab Charlie the Wonder Dog moments, the hilarious Skivvies Are Back song by The Sharp, the fab musical number from politician Joan Kerner, I love rock and roll, and so much more you'll need your sides sewn up from all the laughter. Hilarious. Should you buy it, if you are a fan of the D-Generation, then you will love this and will want to add it to your collection immediately. That is, unless you taped every episode of The Late Show there ever was anyway. That was me, <laughs> so I didn't bought this. <laughs> so. Oh, that's excellent. All right, uh, and I'm also looking at the 9.30 time slot because it's this sort of weird kind of, it's like, it's like this bread between the serious sandwich filling of uh, Four Corners and Media Watch. And uh, obviously, this is well before the Wednesday night lineup as well. So uh, at 9.30 uh, p.m. tonight, it's another episode of Murder Most Horrid. Season 2, Episode 3, titled A Severe Case of Death. Dawn French stars as a woman struggling to become a doctor in 19th century England. Now, uh, we get another four weeks' worth of Murder Most Horrid. And then after that, we have a 10-part ABC sketch comedy based on the pub show of the same name, uh, starring Jonathan Biggins, Drew Forsythe, Oh, three men and a baby grand! That's the way. Hit it, Matt. (laughs) And now, the 500th episode of Australia's favourite variety show, Three Men and a Baby Grand! Here we go. That got so shit-canned, didn't it, that series? It it did, and rightly so. (laughs) Well, see, see, it's it's set behind the scenes of a a, uh, variety show, and, uh, in fact, uh, Jonathan Biggins uh, described it best to TV Week. Uh, I think one of the best descriptions of this show is that it's sort of like The Muppets. It's like the Muppets in that it's about putting on a variety show that just happens to be on television and all the things that happen backstage during and around the making of the show. Except the Muppets are, like, charming and likeable and funny. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was just like there was a period where, you know, with the D-Gen and that on the ABC, it was like comedy, it's for young people. The ABC, you know, young people, comedy, yay. And then it's like... And here's some comedy that in no way will interest anyone under the age of like 50. It's variety songs and parodies. And it was, 
Boo! That's all I can say. <laughs> Boo! Well, look, you can make up your own mind because the, the editor that worked on Three Men and a Baby Grand has put it all up on YouTube. Oh, wow. Okay. Great. So, I can relive it all. Hooray. All 10 episodes <laughs> worth, I know. All right. Well, look, uh, Tony, maybe you might like the show that comes in the time slot after that. You may be able to think of this as the British version of its Gary Shandling show, perhaps. Well, Does that I mean know, it's, it's rare that I like anything, but you know, I'll give it a shot. Ah, uh, okay. This this is one no, nobody's ever heard of. Um, is it on? Uh, is it, it on the a, it's on the ABC and not set, not a commercial network. Um. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it's on it's it's uh well it was originally on Channel Four um between uh December uh, no sorry between April ninety two and December nineteen ninety three uh starring the late stand up comedian Sean Hughes. Oh okay. Sean's show. Hmm. Sean's show. So, yeah, this stars Sean Hughes as a fictionalised version of himself aware that he's living in a sitcom. So, yeah, very similar to It's Gary Shandling's show. Um, you are correct. I did like It's Sean's show. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, my, my tastes are clearly clearly and easily identifiable. But only the first season has been released commercially, uh, but, uh, again, you may be able to find it on the internet if you look hard enough. Um, so uh, the seven episodes of the first season basically takes us right up to the end of uh, 1994. And, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure um, even nowadays that sock's still not dry. <laughs> One of the many catchphrases on that show. So um, as to what happens uh, in 95 before we get to the second season of Frontline, um, I'll probably outline that in a very long-winded uh, uh, program guide next episode. All right. Well, thank you very yeah, much, Daniel. Yeah, we, we really enjoy the program guides. And as Dan yeah. said last episode, it's it's the it's the highlight. So, yeah, <laughs> doing it. Well done, Daniel. And, and also, uh, even though this is the audio podcast, uh, and if you notice any noise in the background, any ambience, uh, I give credit for Daniel for reporting from his car in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was wondering how, how much of that was was going to come through. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've just I've 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 stilled myself away from a, a family thing just for the you know this. I'd say this is probably coming up to half an hour. Yes, <laughs> and uh, your mobile phone company is loving your data usage right now. So yeah, I'm 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 wondering how how good the four G is around here. So <laughs> Daniel, thank you so much for covering everything for this first season of Frontline, and yeah, you you need to go back and. Do family stuff. You've got family commitments or find a date for the Logie Awards, one or the other. Yeah, I've only got a week to go. Otherwise, I've got to ring around. You are going to do the introduction, Tony. Okay. Um, All right, so... You, you point at me or something when it's time to go? I'll cue you in. So the theme's playing now. So uh, in a few seconds, you're going to do your mic more. Three, <coughs> two, one... Hello, I'm Tony. This is Frontline Season 1, Episode 13, The Night of Nights. Broadcast Monday, August 1st, 1994. Yay! 
I've had to do all these interviews for work recently and they're all over Zoom and I can't... Uh, Having to talk to people in any kind of official recorded format is a nightmare. Oh, jeez. You know what the funny thing is, right? And I'm going to embarrass you, uh, Kim and Alison. Um, when that happened, we're on different parts of the – around Australia and different parts of the world. Both Kim and Alison coughed. So <laughs> <laughs> I thought I sneezed. You sneezed. <laughs> Kim sneezed. Alison coughed. Tony, I think you got some type of uh, allergy reaction to a few yeah. people. <laughs> I would not be surprised people are allergic to my drivel. Uh, <laughs> not the first time. It was just really, it was visually amusing. That's all. <laughs> You'll have to up the game for season two and have a few people chunder during it or something. <laughs> oh, Deli- delightful. <laughs> when we get to the Mick Malloy show, I think we need to recreate that um, the moment. Yeah, everyone has to pee everyone on their own knows. carpet in the bedroom. Yeah. No, not not that bit. I'm talking <laughs> about Bert Newton hosting the, the drinking oh. competition. How to crack the whip. And, and the bloke just... <laughs> yeah, sculling a yard glass live on TV. Yeah. Those are the days. Yep. So the synopsis of... The Night of Nights, uh, it's Australian television's most exciting night, the Logie Awards, but for Mike Moore, there's a problem. He can't find a date. Meanwhile, Brian runs a story he knows he shouldn't and ends up regretting it. Or let someone else explain what's going on in this episode. You've had a lot of Australian television personalities on the show. Have you approached Stan or Ray at any point to appear? No, we have not, but I can say on Monday night, it's our last episode, it's our Logie's episode. And um, we actually snuck a camera into the Logie Awards and uh, you might spot them there. So there. (laughs) See, I was watching that when I was watching the episode, I was thinking this isn't like 2023 when sneaking a camera is just pulling out your phone. It's like Santo's running around with, you know, a 1993 video camera. That's not sneaking. People aren't going, oh, he's just holding a you know, shoebox on his shoulder. It's like, it, it's a big camera he's got with him. It's, it's the camera from the Funniest Time Video cabinet. <laughs> yeah, it's more, more like a handy cam, isn't it? Size. <laughs> but people will probably I mean, think it's he's in an official capacity. Yeah. Well, if it was the, the Funniest Time Video camera, maybe it was up for a Logie and that was why it was there. <laughs> uh, so. Surely he, they must have got permission to do this, right? Because, you know, there's, there's this bit that, of of the footage that Santo took where there's a there's a kind of beefy bloke pushing away loads of cameras from some soap star or something yeah. you know and and if any of those beefy blokes had seen Santo with an unauthorized video camera he would have been out well a lot of the filming seems to be in the foyer of Crown Casino and i'm guessing they yeah. probably could have got away with that but there there's like some of the footage of them in the logies where they're just sitting down it's like oh they might have staged that but some of I it is. I think they did. Yeah, some yeah. of it. There's, there's not enough audience up. behind them. Well, I will. No. Let me get start. to that. I've got some major pedantry right there. So oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I think there? we all do actually. Oh boy, <laughs> it, it grinded my gears, but yeah. it'll make sense when we get to it. So <laughs> at the start of the episode, we are open. Uh, well, it is open to a press junket of a charity announcing that someone internally has stolen funds, and this might jeopardise any future donations. So the charity does ask the media not to mention anything yet. And that's where we actually meet uh, a particular reporter, uh, well, Marty bumping into a rival from The Truth, Bruce. G'day, asshole. Yeah, bloody do-gooders. They give you a decent story and take it away. 
Yeah, I'd already thought of the headline. Street aid, cheat aid. Jeez, you guys, the truth are going downhill, mate. Now, please, Tony, I'm glad that we've got someone from Victoria or Melbourne here on yeah. the podcast. So there's been a lot of Melbourne references in the past and you or Prue haven't been around. So please enlighten people who are from Sydney or from Adelaide or from any other part of Australia the truth. What? The, you didn't get the truth interstate? I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised at that. Oh, the truth was like, by the time of Frontline and that, the truth had really, it was basically just, uh, just just think of terrible stuff from the internet, but printed out daily and at your Is local it like news agent. the oh, National Enquirer? Know. Is it something like yeah. that? You know, like one of those it, it mad that. American tabloids. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it had its day. There'd been a period like in the, the perhaps the 70s and 80s where it actually did sort of muckraking journalism. And, you know, it was like... Uh, the, the famous example is the, the headline of, you know, Sir Billy Sneddon died on the job kind of thing. <laughs> and, you know, they, they would have the really sort of salacious, but, you know, generally true, but, you know, the, the dodgy kind of stories. But by the 90s, they were pretty sort of trashy. I mean, they were so trashy, they gave Mick Malloy a column for a <laughs> while between Late wow. Show Season 1 and 2. Um, but, yeah, they... Mostly they kept going with sports stuff. They were like where you went for the racing information and then wrapped around it was just these sort of trashy kind of stories that were usually, you know, sort of sexy. If they had any possible sexy angles, they could, you know, suburb, you know, the suburbs of shame kind of things. That was the stuff they went with. And sort of interestingly, I guess this was the period where shows like Frontline were taking over from the truth. The truth was kind of dying out and people weren't going to newspapers for that kind of thing because television was doing it more and more. They were running the stories that, you know, 10 years earlier, television wouldn't touch, but the truth would put up there. Oh, interesting. Well, I'm sure that when you were referring to Mick Malloy uh, contributing in some point, I just want to say g'day to uh, our <laughs> donator, Tim, who will most likely tweet me some truth stuff because he does do that on a odd basis. Some really cool articles. And I'm thinking I've never got the truth where I lived. So the, no. we've got National Enquirer, but... <laughs> into that competition. Yeah. I'm sure I, I, I've seen, I, I saw it around, but it was one of those, you know, niche... If to, to a Sydney cider, it was probably not sold at, at all the outlets. So it was just probably sold in probably select places. Yeah. So yeah, yeah didn't didn't yeah, see it, it regularly. I, I don't remember it in Adelaide news agents, but I mean, you know, Melbourne in those in that era, it was, well, in the eighties anyway, there were there were four newspapers, weren't there? There was the Age, the Sun, and the Herald, still separate at that point, and then the Truth. So it was quite quite a vibrant media culture, really. Yeah, the the age, the sun was the morning paper, the herald was the afternoon paper. The truth was out. Uh, look, I'm sure it was week, daily at some point, but mostly I remember it as being like three times a week. And there were a bunch of other papers as well. There was quite a lot um, going on. I mean, I was living in Geelong. We had the Geelong Advertiser. You know, there was lots of lots of papers going on because it was still sort of that hangover from you know, the, the 50s and 60s and that where newspapers were where you got your news from. But, yeah, I look, the truth is just 
I was surprised that they mentioned the truth as sending someone to a press conference. Like, I'm assuming they did. <laughs> I, I think that's I just, the joke. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that was kind of the joke, that yeah. it was the truth. I mean, they, they probably figured they could have a journalist from the truth and the truth wasn't going to come after them, whereas, you know, the age or whatever might have been a bit sticky if they'd made mention of them. Mike wants in on the Logies and telling Brian that he wants to host an award. So that establishes this episode and also to have a date, you know, maybe, you know, but he'll, he'll uh, work something out. He knows people. Yeah. Or does he? <laughs> but the whole idea behind he, he's so eager to be part of the awards. I mean, but it's the major television awards ceremony in the country. Yeah. So, mm. yeah. So yeah. I, I, I felt sorry for Mike in this one just because... Yeah, I, I don't know. I've I've had some events occasionally, and it, it can be really hard to get someone to go to them, even if you've got friends that would go. Um, and I'm sure Matthew knows more than I do on this subject. No, I've got a confession to make. All right. Yeah. I am probably one of the two Australians who bought tickets to the Logies this year. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to the Logies. I bought tickets can, to go to the Logies. I you uh, can buy how them? much are yeah, they? You can buy them. How does that work? Yeah. When, when it's the first it? time since 1963 or whatever that they're doing that, and the tickets. Uh, well, I'm in, I'm in the balcony. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, so you so you don't have a table no, like no, no, even no, right no, at no, the no. back. Okay, I, I've been to many awards ceremonies, mainly from my former industry. But this one will, I want to see how this takes the cake. And I'll be taking, um, I'll, I'll try and do some bits with it. But the it cost me 100 bucks. Okay. Yeah. At, so and, not Taylor Swift level. No. <laughs> In fact, People I, opening five browsers trying to, trying to get tickets <laughs> to this event. I think when you try to buy tickets for the Logies, the Logies just automatically opens more tabs to try and get <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So It forces your friends to buy tickets. <laughs> yeah, so mm. I am going to attend it just to cheer on and heckle from the distance. You know, show us your Logies and... Um, yeah. It'll probably be really fascinating to watch how it it sort of oh, plays out, you especially know? if if um, Sean McAuliffe wins gold, that'll be awesome. Yeah, That's wouldn't it. that be amazing? Yeah, that would be. So if I mentioned that I buy, I bought a ticket to a, the Logie Awards as well as putting it, mention this in the podcast, which is produced by my production company and association with mygeekculture.com.au. I could claim it as a tax write-off. Yay! It's <laughs> for review and critique purposes. And the clothes you, you wear as well. You have owned yeah. ATO. Yeah. <laughs> Boom, caught that one, mic drop. All right, so Emma runs down the stories for the show. Brooke is interviewing Ben Elton, and that's one left of field. But I discovered, too, that he's possibly popped up on here, kind of like when Gary Sweet and Shirley Strawn were coming on. These are like little promotional gimmicks too because Ben Elton was doing a stand-up tour at that time. Yeah, he was. Yeah. I, I saw him on that tour and he was in Australia at that point. And and also I, I think he, he kind of knows the D-Gen lot from just, I don't know, comedy circles or whatever. So yeah. It's sort of easy to forget that the, the D-Gen came up in radio where you sort of have that kind of cross promotion thing is just seen as standard. You know, if, if you know, somebody has got something to promote, you can get them on to help you 
do your stuff as well. Yeah. And also with um, the stories that Emma is building up, there's also a story about telecom possibly, yes, telecom, uh, taping customer phone calls without their permission. And Mike wants to help Emma out. He's so eager. Yeah, he, he's eager to help, but he's not eager to actually do anything, <laughs> which is very typical Mike. Yeah. And I'm sure we all recognize that sort of person from our own professional lives. Jan has gathered the office ladies to fill out the Logie Award nominations with precision and such as changing up the colored pens and signing with their left hand. <laughs> yeah, I love this. It's just the equivalent of people using different browsers and computers and VPNs and kind of an army of bots to kind of vote, which is probably what happens nowadays. But the analog version, we talk a lot about analog and digital, digital in this episode, actually, but uh, I can just imagine them just cleaning out all the news agents of all the TV weeks. Filling in all well, of this. Th- that was the conspiracy theory, wasn't it? That every <laughs> single network publicity department would buy like a you know a truckload of TV weeks and just have all the assistants and interns and whatnot fill them all in and send them in to try and get their people winning the awards. Oh yeah, no, I don't even think it was a theory. I think it was just a well-established fact that they would get out, and that was part of TV's TV Week's business model. That was how they made their money. <laughs> They had, you know, this long stretch during the year, a couple of months, where they could sell. They knew they'd be selling copies because people would be buying them for the Logies forms to fill out to try and, you know, sway the votes one way or another. And yeah, I think moving that stuff to online has probably hurt them fairly severely financially. Well, who was up for a gold Logie? Well, if you didn't bother filling in a coupon, here's your chance to tell us instantly whether you agree with TV Week readers in our gold Logie phone poll. Tell us who really should win out of this bunch. If Dieter Brummer's Home and Away antics made the sunshine for you, phone 0055 60256. If you liked Ray Martin at midday and occasionally mid-evening, phone 0055 60257. If Daryl Summers made you sit up and say, hey, hey, phone 0055 60258. Or if you found Gary Sweet's police rescue work arresting, phone 0055 60259. And who would I vote for out of that lot? Probably... Probably Dieter Brummer, actually, just thinking about what what I was into in 1994 because I'm not going to go for Daryl. I'm not going to go for Ray. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, R- I'm forced R- to go R- for Dieter Brummer, as yeah. um, R- R- James Valentine just said. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not really a star. I mean, I guess by the standards of the time, it's a star-studded lineup, but it's really sort of you're not sitting there going, wow, spoiled for choice. Mm. I mean, <laughs> Daryl again. Yeah, Daryl, you know, the... 15th year in a row and Ray Martin sort of during that weird period mm. where he was hosting midday you know it's it's yeah you're kind of like can we can we wait till next year just do what they <laughs> yeah. do what they do with the Pulitzer Prize and just go no none of the nominees were worthy or, or you can wait for 29 years and vote for Sean McAuliffe so you know <laughs> is that what you've done <laughs> well I, I I should vote really I I don't know if I'm allowed to vote I'll vote with my jaw-dropping Daryl Summers shocked yeah. impression. Yeah, the though. meme that you've done. <laughs> yes. Can I do a slight diversion? Um, this Smash Hits magazine again, um, Dita, uh, in the letters page, there's a poetry corner uh, from Melissa from New South Wales. It says, 
Dita Poetry Corner. I nearly died the, the day I met you. You were everything I thought and a lot more too. I will never forget you. I've never met anyone sweeter. It was my 13th birthday and I met Dita. So. <laughs> <laughs> See, you basically that poem, you know, together. you can one direction kids are into one direction write that kind of stuff or bts or mm. god knows what whatever else they're into the oh. young people of today <laughs> aren't they all just into drugs now aren't they no all quite old <laughs> no, no they're into they're into wellness influences and i don't eat avocado. i don't know what they're into I don't jesus know. I'm, I'm in my mid 40s i don't <laughs> bloody know oh, look, i live in geelong all the kids are into drugs that's all i want <laughs> you know i'm only just understanding or how TikTok works. So if just absorbing that and I'm going, I am so far behind the times. And mm. if I really get into it, maybe I'll push all the youngins off going, hey, you know, like how parents have ruined Facebook. Yeah, maybe. Is, is <laughs> that, that your game plan for TikTok, is it? All, all the millennials, the Gen Xs, the baby boomers and all that need to hop on TikTok to destroy it. And mm. oh, look, I think it's, it's already going off a cliff. I'm sure there's, you know, a dozen other websites we've never heard of where the youth are <laughs> congregating to badmouth everyone over the age of 25. Yeah, it's, it's Discord, according to my 13-year-old. That, that's oh. where everyone's. That's where everyone is. So Discord and Twitch. <laughs> that's where they're all buying and selling drugs. <laughs> Back in my day. I'm turning into Neil yeah. Mitchell. I'm sorry. <laughs> what do you Speaking think? If only the truth was still a thing, Tony, you could get a job for them. You could write I would have loved to have worked at the truth. The truth sounds like an awesome place to work, but yeah, uh, you would no write for the funny pages, being the opinion paper, the opinion articles. It was tough to get into the opinion pages back then. You had to actually have hmm. opinions rather than you know, a recognizable name. Uh, so Brooke ends up interviewing Ben Elton with his jokes completely going over her head. Being on the road all the time, it must be very exciting. Is it all sex and groupies? No, no, Brooke, no, it's not. It's a fun, again, it's a, it, people often think that about uh, touring because, you know, the hotels and the truck and moving off onto another town and another, another sunset. But uh, I think showbiz is the only profession where you're kind of expected to leap into bed with a total stranger five minutes after you finish work. It's, uh, I mean, bakers, they don't, you know, when they finish with the finished baking, they don't, um, they don't have to shag the, the assistant, do they? Um, ben, well, thank you very much for your time. Well, we're just warming up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. I was wondering if that was a reference to um, there was a current affairs host, I don't know if I will name them, at the time that was supposedly quite humourless. Um, and, yeah, they would have comedy se segments on the, the current affairs show that went, you know, received no love from the host at the time. Well, it is Ben mm. Elton, so I'd say that Brooke's favourite show further in the track might have been this. My name's Ben Elton, and I'm coming to Channel 9 in 2011 with Live oh, from God. Planet Earth, an all-new, all-live comedy variety show featuring the very best Australian and international comic talent. Yeah, that that didn't really work, Wins. did it, Live from Planet Earth? I mean, I, I think Ben Elton's great. He was yeah. in, in the 80s and 90s. He was an amazing stand-up. And I was actually, I actually spent quite a lot of time in the past week trying to find the origin of that Baker joke, right? And I, I listened to loads of his stand-up albums. They're still amazing. They still stand up, but I could not find where that stand-up comes from. So if anyone knows and can put me out of my misery, um, do do write in because I've spent a lot of time listening to Ben Elton this week with, with nothing to show for it, sadly. Oh, I, I am a big fan of Ben Elton because I still got my book 
of Stark. Oh, look at that. Signed by Ooh. him, which I... Ooh. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So um, I had about most of his books at the time, then I had to offload all of them because I was moving house and didn't have enough room, but I kept the one that was autographed. I've got all his books up there and I'm not getting all of them down because he's written about 20. I mean, Life on Planet Earth was shit, but, you know, he tried, I guess. Well, the thing that got me with the, the segment was that, like, Ben Elton is clearly trying to hit on Brooke <laughs> and Brooke's having none of it. And I was kind of thinking, is there going to be a callback later on where Ben, like, is making jokes about this situation? But no, it was done in one. Well, there, but, there is a there yeah, is a bit that Matt of... didn't play in that bit where, where he sort of, when they finished the interview, he says goodbye to her and he says, oh, you know, you should come along to my show. You might laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another man so, telling so, a woman to smile. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you're right, actually. Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, Brooke is, Brooke is quite a humorless character. Mm. But, I mean, it, it, that is yeah. a bit of a contrast with Ben Elton's normal right-on feminist gear. Mm. Of which I've listened to a lot in the past week, and I can confirm <laughs> and it. No genuinely, baker jokes. <laughs> genuinely is feminist, and there's no baker jokes, alas. So Brian tries to convince Marty to run the story on the charity money, and uh, he has his way of trying to convince him. Let me tell you a story, Marty. A true one. About 10 years ago, I was working at a radio station, and we agreed not to run a story about a guy threatening to poison the local water supply. Cops reckon people would panic, you know. Yeah. Okay, a few days later, he got arrested. And of course, the story comes out. You should have heard the flack we cop from the talkback callers. Uh, what right do you have to withhold information? Who the hell do you think you are playing God with our lives? You know something, Marty? They were right. There's no lives being threatened with this story, mate. Lives, money, it's the same principle, mate. We, as the media, have a duty to report what we learn, not to sit back and decide what people should or should not know. You're starting to swing me around, mate, mate. the public have a right to know what happens to their money. So we do a story. Yeah, it's our duty. Boom. But also... Yay! I like to watch. Yeah, he is very heavy in this scene. <laughs> he, he's in this episode a lot, and in this one he's got his um, archaeologist-style paintbrushes out and he's, he's brushing little mechanisms within the photocopier. This is not related to the photocopier, and it's probably a very, very long, long stretch. But I like to think that this is the part where Frontline crosses over with Batman. <laughs> in the, go, stay, stay with me. Because um, part of Batman's third universe, supposedly the, in, in the comics, the first appearance where the Joker is like shows up to commit crimes his first crime is threatening to poison Gotham's water supply. <laughs> and so I like to think that that was, yeah, that's the, the story that they couldn't gotcha. run. And then, you know, by season three, Mike Moore is reporting on Batman and it's just basically, you know, Adam West running around trying to get rid of a bomb. <laughs> There's just some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> I know that's like quoted word for word perfect, but at least you get the idea for that one. It, it's closer than my fan theory. I've dragged this podcast down to its oh. lowest level yet. <laughs> I think we can go lower. We're, we'll, we'll definitely go lower later with something that I'm bringing to the table. But, Ooh. you know. All right, well, let's quickly sizzle. get to this. Sizzle. Sizzle. All right. So <laughs> Emma has organised an interview with a telecom victim, which Mike completely ignores and <laughs> because he is worried about wearing a red ribbon to the Logies because 
if he wears it, is anyone else wearing it? Or, you know, but that, isn't that like more or less a charity ribbon or something like that? But yeah, it would that, have been an AIDS ribbon. I, yeah, then, that's it? what it is. Yeah. 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 That, that was kind of the start of people turning up to award ceremonies all wearing some ribbon for some charity. Mm. Hmm. So, Mike ends up chatting with Jeffrey Salter and he suggests about who he should take as a date while Jeffrey gathers his friends to watch the awards at home. <laughs> well, why not? Uh, he suggests to Mike to ask Anne Forward out because Anne had her eye on Mike at a charity function. Oh, I got, according to yeah, Jeffrey supposedly. Salter, take a babe. <laughs> I don't know if we can be yeah. tested. I just love how... how um, Rob's just like, oh, I'm just obliged to go on behalf of the show, just making it out that he doesn't really want to go. And then Jeff's like, well, just say no, just say no. And he's like, oh, no, 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 I can't say that. I can't say no. <laughs> he really wants to go. It's not an option. You know. <laughs> he he's must good. present that Logie that he's desperately argued that he must present. Frontline is up for a Logie nomination, actually, uh, for Brooke and Marty's out of sight, out of mind story. Well, Brooke presented the piece. And, it was your idea. I mean, you did the initial research. So. All right, I'll accept it. Hang on, I was the presenter. Make up your mind. Well, I just What's think it would gonna... be best if I was up there accepting the award. Are you serious? Well, what? I just think hey, I, I just want to go up there and sort this out. Well, I just think outside, the public want to see me accept the award. And it continues mm. onwards. <laughs> the bickering. <laughs> I like the line of the public want to see me accept the award. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Do you know what? If Brian was was a decent manager, he would have just told them. You know, he would have said, "You know, you're gonna you're gonna accept it," or he would have said, "They can both go up." You know, he the the fact that he, this he knows it's going to become a fight, and then it does, which is great for the episode. But in real life, he's just being a crap manager. Yeah, that, that's the incident that gets him fired after the end of this season. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mike finally sits down with Emma over the telecom story, but Emma's already doing the heavy lifting. So let's get down to this interview. Yeah. Have we got the uh, questions worked out? Yeah. Oh, yeah. good. No, I'll get your copy of that because the photocopy machine's broken at the it's moment. It's broken again. Mm. We've got to get a proper photocopy machine. Yeah. Brian just doesn't pay. This is like a third or fourth story arc in this episode. <laughs> so There's many... a lot going on, isn't there? Yeah. Mm. They're really squeezing it in. So um, they're really emphasising the copier guy. Gee, I wonder why. Because well, he wrote the script. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming the pressure has been coming from the fans who are just like, we need more of the copier guy. And, you know, over the course yeah. of the season, the mailbag has been overflowing with demands for more photocopier-related plot lines. It's not like they're going, oh, we've, we've got to, we've got to get, you know, we've got to get onto this. People, want, that's what they want. Oh, I'm really yeah. glad they got all my letters and, and acceded <laughs> to my demands. I kept reading yeah. the ABC. I want more photocopier on Frontline. Yeah, you kept photocopying your letters. They got so many copies. I of did. It. I did. They want some hard copy. <laughs> ah. And we all had good puns and jokes there. Excellent. Sexy girls with sexy photocopiers. That's what. <laughs> that's what they should have done. Ah, uh, well, well, meanwhile, the charity story Marty is covering gets some leakage happening and, and Mike pokes his nose in. Should we be running this story? Mike, you're a journalist, right? Mm, secret. Right. <laughs> do you think a journalist should let someone tell him when he can and cannot do a story? Oh, no, but I mean in certain situations. Hey, I think hey, that... true story. 
eight years ago, I'm working in radio, right? You work in radio? Oh, yeah. yeah Ryan yeah, worked yeah. in radio too. So, yeah, so we get a story uh, about this guy who's threatening to poison the local water supply. Oh, well, the oh. cops are worried that people are going to panic. Oh, well, they would. Uh -huh, right. Yeah. So we get told to hold it, hold it. Don't do it, right? Don't mm -hmm. run the story. So uh, a couple of days later, they arrest this guy. Mm -hmm. Well, when the story came out, mm -hmm. I copped it from everybody. The right? talkback call. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. What gives you the right to withhold information? What gives you the right to decide this? And you get the point. No. He's copied. Can I just ask Kim and Tony, you know about journalism. Okay, what is a C-grade journalist? Does it even exist as a category? Um, well, it, it used to. I don't know if it still does. Um, I remember because the way it worked when I studied journalism was you either did a cadetship for three years or you did a degree and then you would do a cadetship for one year. And then you would be graded as a journalist. You would get your grading. And then you slowly sort of worked your way up. And by slowly, it was like once a year, you went up a grade. And generally speaking, by the time you were, you know, if you worked in a newspaper, by the time you're like 28, 29, you would be an A-grade journalist. You would be at the, the top level. So for Mike to be at a C-grade level, kind of <laughs> yeah. stopped, stopped being a journalist quite a while ago and quite early into his career. The story ends up going to air with Marty using street aid or cheat aid lighter. He copied. <laughs> yeah. See, this is where we're going here. Lots of layers here. Mm. <laughs> it's like, you know, when the paper comes out of the photocopier and there's one layer and then the next sheet and then the next sheet. <laughs> so the Ben Elton story came out funny with Brooks laughs inserted. Uh, everyone loved the story. But Brooks like going, yeah, yeah, he's always funny. You know, I've got every single joke. Yeah. Poser. Anyway, um, so Mike's still struggling for a date and Brian says the problem with awards night is that you can't remember anyone's name and Marty just said to call a mate. So there's another layer going on here, establishing another layer. It's good and, advice. Yeah, I will admit there was, when I was starting a, a new job this is years ago and I was still trying to get my um, head around how many people were in the building because it was like a hundred or so people and there was one guy who like we're great friends now and for the first two months I could not remember his name and I used to say hey dude hey mate <laughs> <laughs> So Mike's late night research on the telecom story is him actually calling and forward asking for a date, but she'll be interstate. Oh, shut down. Uh, notice he's, uh, he's more teen is still on his desk. Yeah. There from yeah. <laughs> the butterfly. This joke. is why you need to show the episodes in order. Mm. So that's cameo one. Well, if we're doing a cameo count, we're going to need, you know, a bigger boat. 3,000 cameos in this. Well, the, the obvious cameos. You missed the most important cameo in this, okay? Oh, so one? while Mike is spending late night in the office, ringing Anne forward and being rejected, he's he's interrupted by Cor, the cleaner. And Cor's got, a, got an assistant this week. Oh. And guess who it is? It's Alf Camilleri. <laughs> I looked away. I, I watched that pit and I didn't write it, so it's Alf. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Ah, the ship magnet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> chick, chick magnet. It, it's chick magnet. It's chick magnet. Yeah. So that's cameo one and a half. 
Well, see, what they needed to have was him just sort of gyrating in the doorway for a few minutes. <laughs> With the gold chains and <laughs> unbuttoned shirt. <laughs> I, I don't know. He was holding a bin, so that was <laughs> close enough. some action going on there. So, meanwhile, on 3AW, Mike tries to justify the street aid story. The number of people who saw that story last night could well decide, OK, we won't donate any more to street aid. Now, did you think about that before you broke what really was a voluntary ban? Did you think about okay, it? OK, OK, OK. Uh, let me tell you a true story, Neil. About eight years ago, I was working on radio and a man uh, drank some poison water. Now, uh, they were, he was afraid that the police would panic. Uh and the calls, the talkback calls uh, on the police radio complained bitterly about uh, the... Oh, the... oh, dear. That's where Chinese whispers start wearing out. Uh... Well, it was interesting that, you know, it was Neil Mitchell who didn't then go on to blame Dan Andrews, but also <laughs> Neil Mitchell was kind of like when Frontline was made, he was sort of... I don't know, mainstreamy. I mean, I guess he is still mainstream amongst a, an older section of the community, but he has kind of gone. But back then, being on Neil Mitchell said nothing politically, as it were. Whereas now, that would be like going on Alan Jones or something. You would be saying, you know, you would be nailing your colours to the mast as to what side of you know politics you are on to appear on Neil Mitchell. I feel like these these days, you know, they would send Mike more onto the sort of morning show, you know, because they'd they'd get a soft ride there, whatever the network's morning show was. The sort of I don't know. Yeah, it's probably a bit like the, the ABC morning, or you know, ABC radio still does talk back quite a lot, and I guess they'd find someone, you know, he'd be on that. But then I don't know, do do people still listen to ABC radio and talk back? And it was a paid slot, remember, so they wouldn't be able to pay their way there. <laughs> yeah. Mike bumps into Bert Newton at the shops. So there's cameo too. Not just the shops, it's the Como no, Centre no, in no. Melbourne. So if you it did wasn't that called Australia on Collins at the time? No, no, Australia on Collins is a completely different place. The Como Centre, oh. interestingly enough, is where Channel Ten in Melbourne are headquartered. Their headquarters are like oh. upstairs. So again, it Bird is probably coming down from Channel Ten, having recorded some you know, one of um, you know whatever he was up, yeah, GMA at the time. But yeah, no, because there's a, a cinema there as well. Um, so I recognised the stairs, and I was like, oh, I know where that is. Oh, well, how, how sad that I'm excited at recognising an upper class <laughs> shopping mall on Turek Road. Well, that's mate one. Cameo two, mate one. Very good acting from Bert too to sell the I don't know who you are, but I'm going to stay pleasant. I imagine Bert Newton had to do that quite a lot throughout his life. <laughs> Marty and Brooks' feud continues in the office with Colin Conacher working away. And Emma tells Mike the telecom story is off, but Brian has to tell Mike why. Well, word came through from management that uh, we should lay off a while. You're kidding me. Telecom are a major sponsor for this network and we didn't want to jeopardise the relationship. Yeah, but I mean... Yeah, I know it stinks, Mike. It does stink. Let's be realistic here. We live in a very commercial world. I really wanted to do that story. And we will, mate. But in the meantime, they suggest that we try another angle. I had a PR guy in here before. This is Telecom. Telling me that they export their technology now to over 50 countries. So I go from attacking them to endorsing them? Hey, if you don't want to do it, I'll no, I don't want to do it. Well, Actually, yeah. Can you give that to her on the way out? What's this? Oh, just some latest digital digital phone or something. I don't know. 
They didn't want us to do a story about them without fully understanding their technology. And so they gave this to you? Yeah, can you drop it off in Brooks' desk? Well, hey, hey, hi, hi, wait, wait a second. I mean, I, I don't want to be seen to be knocking exports, a company that's exporting mean, 50 countries. That's you might do it. There's the art of gentle persuasion. This particular scene struck me as, um, yeah, ex extremely realistic from my limited experience of the media. It, it's very difficult. I mean, I just, from when I used to work at street papers where you would review records and provide band coverage, if they didn't like it, they would get in touch very promptly and let you know that you weren't going to be doing that again if you ever wanted to see anything free. Um, and yeah, that was just how it worked. And then it's just sort of been interesting over the years that that's how it works on every level. It's not just, you know, <laughs> the, the very sort of rock bottom part. It's like, you know, it's more subtle and that, but yeah, there's, you know, as you go on, your your story might be good for ratings for one night, but if you piss off an advertiser, that's, you know, six months of revenue gone. And there's always going to be somebody at the network who is going to say, look, one of these things is worth more to us than the other. Well, that's why you never really see anything in the current news about Kmart negativity or whatever. It's always been a, hey, here's your Christmas discount, uh, big sales or whatever going on, and then bam, we'll be... Just a yeah, long I'm, I'm lucky I work for an organisation that takes no advertising and can can criticise Kmart when when required, which is good. Well, well, that's supposedly the reason why you'll um, you'll never get a, a movie review show on a commercial network. Um, there was some talk years ago. I think even when Get This was on, people were sort of saying to you know Tony Martin, "Why don't you do a, a review show? You love movies and people love you." And it's like, well commercial networks would never let you run a bad review of a movie that was going to be advertised in the next commercial break. So, you know, you end up with Richard Wilkins on today, just everything is great. Unless it's some movie that in no way is going to be advertised on Channel 9, then that one can stink. But all the, the big movies that are on in the big cinemas are always going to get a positive review because the advertisers are taking out loads of ads for them. Yeah, especially when you start uh, doing a review, bagging out The Flash, and then next thing you know, the ad break comes up saying, The Flash in cinemas now. Well, yeah. It's I mean, not going to work. Channel 10 will do those promos for movies where they, like, the, the movie promo is tied in with the 10 logo. I mean, there's no way you could, you know just have the logo and, you know, have Barbie dancing around the 10 logo mm. and cut to someone going, Barbie, it's no good. It's like <laughs> that, that, that show's not going to have a lot of potential. So, yeah, mm. it's just how commercial interests work. Mm, I think for, for print media, for newspapers, it's uh, Harvey Norman that do all their wraparounds and excess ads everywhere and you're never going to see a, a bad word about Harvey Norman in any of these papers. Oh, it's, they're just Harvey Norman supplements with a couple of pages of news inserted <laughs> on the weekend. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. Now, meanwhile, Marty's buddy Bruce from The Truth confronts him over the street aid story. Marty, good story, mate. Pity we had to let it go. Mate, what can I do? EP put the hard word on. Yeah, yeah, and my editor wasn't after a front page. Like, you screwed me and that charity. Just reported the facts, mate. Come on, shout your drink. Come on. Yeah, Come on. you're Come right. on. You're still an arsehole. Yeah, I'm an arsehole. G'day, mate. There's your second mate. <laughs> <laughs> Mike uh, meets Jeffrey's mate as well, uh, Philippe, from Kitchen Capers, which... 
That's mate three. So I, I thought this was definitely going to be the first gay relationship on Frontline, but I guess yeah, <laughs> too too much for 1993 or some whatever. But no, I thought there was going to be like this was going to be the date for the Logies, but then no, Jeffrey Salt is not uh, going to the Logies and he's not getting a date. Oh, oh la la. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that's a Gabriel Gattay type reference? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. maybe they tried to get Gabriel and couldn't, or it's meant to be a parody of him or something. But hey, he gets the viewership in Adelaide. <laughs> yep, he's going to Adelaide. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so later that night, after telling the cleaner to be quiet, mate number four, uh, Mike calls people on his mobile, on his telecom mobile phone, his digital mobile <laughs> phone. And Using his organiser, his personal organiser, to look up the numbers. <laughs> yes. It's still, again, again you've got to watch them in order. order. Yeah. <laughs> you won't get it if you if you watch them out of order. But the people who did pop up in little one-second cameos, you have Nikki Buckley um, from Sale of the Century, Amanda Keller, and uh, Helen Wellings, Joe Beth Taylor, and Liz Hayes. And they all say no. Very clearly, because, you know, digital is clear as a bell. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no interference there. Very distinct no's. It, it felt a little like Mike was aiming perhaps a little too high in his choice of celebrity sort of date for the night. And he perhaps should have been looking for, you know, soapy starlets or... Mm, the, teen queens. Yeah, local weather <laughs> presenters. That Be young been. for him though, surely. I mean, <laughs> you know, you need you need to sort of soap person maybe in their 20s or 30s rather than teenage stars. I think that would be a bit inappropriate. inappropriate. <laughs> Even in 1993. Growing up with Mrs. Yeah. Mangle perhaps. <laughs> maybe a bit too old, but that's more the area. I'm yes, sure Mrs. Likely. Marsh, you know, from the Colgate ads would have been available. <laughs> the, get the cleaner from those pro hard ads. No. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that she's she's such a big celebrity that she turns up to the Logies. I think that's amazing. <laughs> Mike Moore is her date for the night, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why he called up Nicky Buckley because he had Buckley's chance. Oh, oh, no. uh... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're not. No, I'm not. <laughs> was it was a great joke. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> Brooke ends up being his date after Brian strongly encourages her to. Now, Friday night funny man Elliot Rhodes, hey, good friend of uh, the Champagne Comedy Podcast, uh, has a song for the Logies. So turn on the lights, it's our night of nights. Put on your clean shirt, you could well meet Bert. Get rid of the bogeys, no room for all fogies tonight. It's the logies. I was just impressed by the lyrics of that song where it's got no room for old fogies. And it's like, have you ever watched <laughs> the logies? It's a fogey warehouse. Yeah. I, my favourite bit of this is is Mike Moore's back announcement. He says, oh, treading on some toes there. And it's like, if if you could tread less on toes than that song. <laughs> like hovering above the toes with that song. There's yeah. Sort of no physical. Nowhere near kilometres away from the toes. <laughs> now it's time for the Logies. And 
Uh, well, this is, isn't this a delight in the episode? It sure yeah. is. And, and, and Alison, um, are we going to talk about how you made us watch the real intro to the Logies yeah. before this was on? Yeah, nineteen ninety-four yeah, um, Logie Awards. Well, yeah, I just thought it would be interesting to check out what the actual nineteen ninety-four Logies was like, and um, you can find the first twelve minutes on YouTube if you if you search for it. Now, of course, the Logies is no stranger to the ill-conceived and badly realised, and I think we get both in in <laughs> troves and truckloads here. It, it's the most extraordinary twelve minutes of of Logies television I've ever seen, and I've watched a lot of Logies. So, okay, it starts out. There's a control room and a TV control room and it's full of babies. It's staffed entirely by babies. They're all wearing nappies. Um, they all seem to be voiced by people from Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. So, you know, John Blackman, um, you know, Denise Drydsdale, va- various other voices that you'll recognise are sort of voicing these babies and making a bit of a mess of it, to be honest. And what happens is, firstly, they blow up the world and then secondly... <laughs> They cut to this Starship Enterprise and we've got some 1960s Star Trek footage and, you know, Mr. Spock and, and all the other various characters are sort of receiving these television transmi- transmissions from the late 20th century from the southern hemisphere of the Earth and they're confused about what these mean. Um, so am I. And <laughs> yeah, it, it is... I think there's a, there's a comment under this YouTube video and someone says something like, you know... A lot of people had different ideas and they didn't reject some. They just put all of them in, (laughs) right? So, um, yeah, then after this Star Trek footage, we actually cut to the stage of the Logies and we've got a song performed by former Indecent Obsession member David Dixon, (laughs) star of musical theatre Caroline O'Connor and Heartbreak High's Abby Tucker. And I think you'll recognise the tune, if maybe not the lyrics. The, the TV is on the street. On the screen. How on the street. Oh, right. Not on the screen. It's on okay. the street. Like someone has thrown their television out of their house onto the street in disgust at what they've been forced to watch at the start of yeah. the Logies. So, yeah. Yeah. That, Pretty that much. Was, it was just the song. That song of, um, yeah, the heat is on. But all they did is literally change. The heat is on to the TV's on, but everything's <laughs> yeah. everything's copied again. Another copy, but uh, everything's just copied word for word. Sure. And I'm in, um, yep. Why wouldn't you make it the Logies? Because that's literally what's on the television. What the Logies on? The Logies on. TV's on. Even that made up. Yeah. 30 years later by a bunch of disinterested listeners is better than what they put to air on Channel 9. Yeah. Oh, oh, but you, you just remember what's going on visually. Now, this is what I haven't explained. Because we've got this Star Trek space theme, they're all dressed up as these kind of alien robots and they're doing a kind of robotic dance, which is 
kind of weird because as they move around the stage, they move around this very awkward sort of way, which just makes it look like they're walking oddly. Um, and and the outfit that David Dixon is wearing is well, I don't know, it, it it's sort of a bit Cleo centerfold, but but with a bit of draping. It's it's a funny it's a funny look. Um, it's kind of like the Danny the Minogue, the Danny Minogue with the. Bum hanging out outfit from the nineties. I'm sorry, his cr- yeah. it's his crutch. It just his crutch. Is yeah, just... just it's a silver sort of posing pouch. I suppose you might call it. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's, it's anyway, da- it's David on. I'll put it that way. Think about how his his surname. <laughs> <laughs> David yeah. on. David Dixon. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, anyway, what once? Well, I was just going to say. I just assumed with the dancing that they just they weren't paying them enough to actually dance so they just went look <laughs> if we pretend you're robots then you know you just clomping around on stage will make slightly more sense he's he's packed his indecent obsessions <laughs> <laughs> moving on yes <laughs> I mean, none of none of this makes any sense. It's it's not possible because then we cut back to Star Trek and and the Captain Kirk and and whatnot. They all decide that they're going to beam down a presenter for this this extraordinary '90s um, television broadcast. And it's Ray Martin, of course, isn't it? It's the mid '90s. Who else can it possibly be? One of the most boring television presenters ever invented. Um, anyway, so Ray Martin. But don't worry, there's a bit of excitement because Dicky Knee pops up. Um, hey, Mr. Martin, during... Mr. Martin. That's the one, yeah. Oh, so there, there's some sparkling dialogue between Ray and Dickie Nee, and then Ray introduces Daryl Summers and Rebecca Gibney. So, mm. you know, it must have been a really amazing night. Um, I, I so that, just... that was the real 1994 Logies, everyone. It's just hard to imagine how Dickie Nee, because it's, it's presented on a stage. It's not like, you know, there's a desk. So Ray Martin is on stage, and then presumably someone has crawled out and is kneeling in front of him, waving Dickie knee. Oh about. no, no, no! There's a little, there's a little it's box, underneath. and it's and underneath. Oh, okay. so there's so the there's box. someone under the stage, which must oh, have been dear. fairly claustrophobic. Crystal. And there's a little box that with a flap that kind of pops up, and Dickie's head pops out of the box. See, by the, the stage <laughs> of the clip, my laptop was on the street because I had thrown it out the window. <laughs> yeah, being forced what's to watch a, this thing. What did Dick's in in the logies <laughs> with David? Dixon and Dickie Knee. And we haven't even got to the rest of the presenters. No. <laughs> well, Daryl Summers is coming up, everyone, so, you know, there's another one. <laughs> well, did, did you see it with the Logies montage for our front line, uh, mm. all the cameos of, uh, well, the discreet filming, I guess. Yeah, of... it was a star-studded thing, wasn't it? Names, yeah. names, names, everyone. Larry uh, Here's some that I spotted. Larry Emder, Kathy Godbold, Rosebury Margan, Maxie Walker, the little fat kid and date. The, the little fat kid's date is much taller than him, which is kind of amusing. That is Angela Keep. Angela Keep. Angela okay. Keep, who ended up replacing Sarah Monaghan out of. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, out of Hey Dad when she yeah. left. Ah. Okay. And then we've got Melissa George from Home in a Way wearing that infamous, terrible green and purple bubble dress thing. Yeah. That's um, one of those things I just remember. <laughs> it's it's so iconic, um, isn't it? That dress, mm. iconically awful. There's, a, um, I mean, it's, and, it's mentioned on the Wikipedia page of the 1994 Logie Awards, so yeah, <laughs> it has to be it's has pretty, to be a thing. It's kind of like the safety pin dress, you know. It's sort of an iconic piece of fashion. Um, 
And then also we had Darren Hitch and Jackie Weaver, Mike Willisy, Jennifer Kite, George Negus and Jennifer Byrne. And then a bit later we had Don Lane, Bruce Summers and Ray Martin and Michael Crawford. So names, 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 everyone. One of the guys they showed a couple of times, and I can't remember his name, um, is was like one of the big TV producer power broker guys of the time. Um, but yes, yes, I'm, yes. I, I the, the face looked familiar. I just couldn't pick the name. Yeah, I couldn't get yeah. the name. But yeah, they show him twice, and like, oh, Stone, something Stone. Oh, Gerald, oh, Stone. Gerald Stone. Could have been Gerald Stone. That might be Gerald it. Stone. Um, but yeah, it was like because I remember thinking, oh, at the time he was, you know, the face of current affair kind of thing, the you know producer of sixty he, minutes sort of thing. He'd been 60 Minutes and then he moved to real life, didn't he? Yeah. So he was, yeah, Yeah, because I did think they were sort of, apart from the star-studded cameos, they were kind of showing a lot of that, you know, um, current affair people were showing up at the Logies. Yeah, and they also had shots of, they'd obviously got Mike, well, Rob Sitch wearing the Mike wig, yeah. talking to Mike Willisy and people like that to try and make it look as if Mike was trying to network with... Yeah you know, his fellow journalists or whatever. Well, it wasn't the story that, like, because they were sneaking in and sneaking footage, nobody knew why Rob Sitch had this wig on and everyone just thought, yeah. oh, Rob's just got a hair transplant. <laughs> I couldn't find the article in time, but I've got it in my archives and I'm, I'll post it when I do find it again. But there was a bit where um, some reporters were actually trying to quiz Mike Moore slash Rob Sitch on why, what's with the hairpiece, what's going on. And uh, yeah. but they just went no, can't don't, don't know what you're talking about. We're not talking about it because well, it was all shot before the first front line went to air. I think yes. wasn't it? Yeah, because yeah. I remember thinking as well that it probably it was probably planned in the script that he would be taking Brooke as his date because his invite to the Logies probably was you know Rob Sitch and Jane Kennedy as you know a power couple rather than you know, anything else. So this was also the one where The Late Show won the best comedy program, wasn't it? Yes, it, it was. was actually. And I got a little bit of a snippet here. Most popular comedy program. Nominations for this uh, Hey Hey It's Saturday on the Nine Network. Mother and Son on the ABC and The Late Show on the ABC. And the winner is The Late Show, ABC. Dude looks like a Logie. <laughs> See, that's where Pete Smith got up and accepted the Logie on their behalf. Rob and Jane and all that were in down the front of the uh, Yeah, it's sort of weird, isn't it? Because they're, they're sat there awkwardly and you think, well, are they going to get up and accept it? And then suddenly Pete Smith gets up. Yeah, so you had Santo there as well and Jason was there too and Michael Hirsch. Okay. So they're all there, but... Rob was with his Mike Moore get up. And so um, when um, Pete Smith got up and accepted it, so obviously they didn't really want to reveal what they were going to do, so, no. so to speak. No. But there was also the second award that they won that night as well. The nomination for the most outstanding achievement in comedy. Now, this is a panel award. This isn't a vote award. Panel award. Most outstanding. Well, they would know, wouldn't they? They would know. We were... They would know. But, but we're not. Mother and son, the ABC. What's all this? It's that laundry that you wanted me to do. What laundry? Before you went out, you brought out a whole lot of clothes from your room. Did you go in there? No, you told me not to. You told me to give them a bit of a wash and an iron and sort out a few clothes for the church fate. 
I don't remember this. But you did. You've done something. And when I work out what it is, you're in big trouble, mister. The Late Show, the ABC. Oh, I'm ordering dinner. I'm hungry. No one wants India. I've got uh, two samosas so far, a uh, chicken vindaloo. Papadums. Papadums. Yeah, Papadums. Okay. Papadums. A drone. Papadums. No. <laughs> yeah, this next one's quite visual. This is... That's full front. Magda Zabanski. The Seven Network. Yeah, Magda Zabanski's dressed as a teenager and she's, she's listening to a boombox by the side of the road. And then a, then a car smashes into her. <laughs> and Michael Crawford pisses himself. Oh, that's funny. Yes. Yeah, that, that is funny. <laughs> and the winner is The Late Show, ABC. This is cross-channeling. Quite amazing, you know, when uh, the gang were nominated for uh, more than one Logie, they started thinking about, well, what's the term? You know, I don't think in all the years the Logies have been on, there's ever been a term for more than one Logie, a multiple number of Logies, and they, they were chewing it over this afternoon. They were talking about a Bert full of Logies, and that really didn't work, a fraud full of Logies, and I soon cut that one on the head. And, and, and you know, an axe full of Logies didn't work. So uh, they thought that in the remote chance that they'd get this second award and have a multiple number of Logies, they would call it a daddo full of Logies. So thank you very much. You need a lot of Logies to get a daddo full of Logies, surely. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You need at least one more, surely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's impressive to note that of, of the three shows that are nominated for both of them, basically two of them are still like mother and son is coming back. And Seven pretty much brought back Full Frontal earlier this year with Do Not Adjust Your Set sort of thing. So, yeah, it's like, well, not not a whole lot has moved forward in 20, 30 years now? 30 it? years. 30, yeah, 30 yeah. years. Mother and Son is back, everyone. Well, unfortunately, Frontline didn't win the Out of Sight, Out of Mind story. I, I will point out, though, that with this 1994 Logies, this was the award that, uh, well, the Logies that, Stan Grant broke his Logie. The winner is Real Life 7 Network. Gee, this is a bit of a surprise. <laughs> First one and I break it. I didn't, I didn't mean to upset you that much, mate. First of all, can I just say... Uh, <laughs> class, eh? But we're at the after party now and... Hey, there's more cameos. Oh, yes. We've got Bud Tingwell, Stan Grant, George Negus, and Kathy Godbold and Rosemary Margot again. And they, they actually, that gets him another mate. Yes, mate number five. And then there's an even better mate. And forward sides to turn up. And Look then she calls him mate just as the kicker. So that's six oh. mates. No wonder he got on the turps afterwards. <laughs> so the next morning, Brooke has one major hangover and... Mike has been breathalyzed. Uh-oh. And Brian wants everyone to keep quiet about this. As Dom 
walks over to Marty, discovers, well, what's this on his desk? And it's a Logie Award that Marty nicked from Four Corners. Negus made me do it. (laughs) Andrioli will kill me. Meanwhile, Bruce turns up uh, in Brian's office. Bruce Corcoran's the name. Come in, won't you? Won't take up too much of your time. Apparently there was a bit of a party after the Logies. So? A certain respectable current affairs host was picked up a little tired and emotional. Bit of a tip for him. Don't chat to your boss on a mobile phone. (sighs) You pricks. Make a great front page. Frontline host says, more, please. What do you want? For a complete embargo? Couple of grand? No, 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 no. Make it five. And who do I make the check out to? Low Life Journal or Scumbag Reporter? Street Aid. So a bit of pedantry. Pedantry. <laughs> so, yeah, well, in my uh, I, I mentioned this uh, this ad about digital network ages ago, but it was basically for Vodafone at the time, talking about how the benefits of analog mean that you 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 can't get scanned, like no one can hack into your your conversations. So is the insinuation that that Mike is using a digital mobile phone to talk to his boss? Because if he is, then would it would it still be able to get picked well, up? Princess Diana, though, and and the whole, you know, Prince Charles and Camilla sort of tampon stuff. Mm, was she using an analog? I, I don't know what technology they were phone. using, but it was certainly sort of early mobile technology. And you used to be able to like people with radio equipment, sort of amateurs, could pick this stuff up, and that's why it circulated and got into the papers eventually. I think it's inspired by that. I just assumed the guy from the truth was protecting his sources within the police who would have dobbed him, you know, tipped him off about Mike Moore getting breathalyzed. Well, there's that as well. That's the other possibility. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, if, you know, something happens to a celebrity that the police are involved in, the police are under no uh, restriction. <laughs> the police are quite happy to tell all their mates. If, you, if you've ever been friends with anyone in the police force, they are full of stories about people who have done things that have been hushed up, but the police are, you know, happy to tell you about them. Yeah. Well, there's a nice little twist there that the, the check was going to street aid rather than the, the journalist himself. I like the way on Frontline they really sort of present, even like all these other outlets that, you know, are generally seen as the, the scum of the earth, they're all still, they've got more higher higher moral standards than Frontline does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And exactly. as Bruce leaves with parting words to Marty, there's just one more thing that needs repairing on this show, and that is... It's fixed. <laughs> hey, the photocopy is fixed. Yeah, the only spoken word. Yeah, after he'd been using a, a hammer. <laughs> yes, uh, the, the brushes and the hammer combined have fixed the photocopier. That should have earned him a Gold Logie nomination. Oh, look, how long is that fix going to last? That's my question. By the time... You know, Get around to see. Yeah, he'll be back thing. next week, won't yeah. he? <laughs> Ser- yeah. Series two is an absolute shoe in. He might as well have just gone, it's fixed with some air quotes. And, you know, <laughs> there, there's no money in copy repairs if you actually repair the copier. Because usually, that, if you can't repair it, they just replace it. Yeah, now they don't bother repairing any of that sort of stuff. It's just easier to replace. We had a photocopier repair person at my work a few a few weeks ago, actually. They were there for the whole day. Wow. Did they have brushes and a hammer? I don't believe so. I, yeah, it's more technical so these what, days. What we need to do is get a copy of Repairman on the podcast to actually go to and critique 
<laughs> we need a special edition where it was yeah, there's a photocopier expert. If if you know, if, okay, listeners, if any of you know a photocopier repair person, please please write in and volunteer them. Maybe you are one yourself. And if you don't, one of us will just bang on a voice and just be going, nah, mate, that's not how you do it. Nah, nah. only bung up the rollers doing that. Nah, hammer, what? Nah. <laughs> I apologize to all tradies. Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> that concludes uh, Frontline Season 1, Episode 13, and the Champagne Comedy Podcast, Episode 53. Hooray! Yay. We got there. Wow. I can't believe it. We've already yeah. done one season. Wow. So we're going to take a bit of a break now. Um, so make sure you stay, sub- uh, not subscribe, it's not even a thing anymore. It's more or less follow. Uh, so make sure you stay following because we might come back randomly. We will be coming back for season two and three. Please don't get me wrong. As well as doing Funky Squad too. So which one we'll come back to? You'll only, we know. When you least suspect it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So feel free to email champagnelateshow at gmail.com and check this episode's show notes for our socials as well as buy us a coffee. You know, buymeacoffee.com slash TLS champagne pod. So contribute a dollar, $3, $5, $10, 50 bucks, 50 bucks. That five and, grand you just scammed out of a you know current affairs producer, send it our way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll, With inflation we're, applied, we're going to be called Street Aid now. <laughs> so, um, and also Facebook search uh, Champagne Comedy Podcast Group and hang out with the cool kids. So as always, I just want to say a big thank you for sticking with us all the way through the first season of Frontline, Alice and Daniel, Kim, Prue, Tony as well as all our guests as well, uh, Dan Alec and um, David N. Green, as well as Rob Lloyd and Boris, Boris Connolly. Connolly coming on as well. So it's all been fantastic. Have I missed anyone? <laughs> not... Don't think so. No. Cool. But as well as you, uh, the listener, thank you for reaching out and um, emailing, contributing one form or another, um, or tweet or emails or messages all of it is a lot of fun and we continue to do more and if you share this podcast around too we can maybe convince more people more guests to come on the show because so i did reach out to ben elton and i i didn't get a response so oh yeah damn oh well so uh yeah anyway we'll catch you next Dad-o'd. yeah dadoed exactly <laughs> it's got two meanings <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm Matt. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye, assholes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions. MattFulton.com.au. See you, mate. I'm going to have nightmares about this. I'll be dreaming in stilted robot dances. (laughs) It's the full version. Multiple dicky knees running around. (laughs) Daryl Summers coming up next.
Pack it in. I've got to go. It's fixed. <laughs>